turning in our Bibles then to the, for the last time at this point to Isaiah chapter 53 and looking at the, the sixth verse, Isaiah 53 and verse number six. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. In life we encounter many problems and we seek to provide solutions to them. For some people within our province, the border is a problem and they are seeking to provide a solution to it. With a Sinn Féin first minister within our province, this issue of the border will be high up on the agenda for discussion and perhaps referendum. For some within our province, this border has always been a problem and they have always been seeking to find a solution to it. And we are familiar with this concept not only within our province, but within our families, within our workplace, within our life. We encounter problems and we seek to find solutions to them. The grammatical form of this wonderful and well-known sixth verse is a palestrophe. That is, it begins and it ends with the same or with a similar phrase. So we have in our verse all at the beginning and all at the very end. Now there is a well-known story which addresses this very point of an evangelist bidding farewell to a friend who was not yet a Christian at the train station. The friend with his baggage had boarded the train and as the train was moving out, he shouted out to the evangelist who had been witnessing to him throughout the time that they had been together, tell me briefly how I can become a Christian. And off the spur of the moment, the evangelist said to him as the train was moving down the platform and the evangelist running alongside the open door window, Isaiah 53 verse 6, go in at the first all and come out at the last. And the man sat down in his carriage, put his bags away, gathered himself, opened up the little Bible that he had at this very verse. And by God's grace, he went in at the first all. He humbled himself. He recognized his inclusion in this statement. I am a sinner. I have strayed from God. I am lost, vulnerable, in danger. And he read on to the very end of the verse and saw the grace of Christ the love of God, the mercy that is there. We can discuss the theology of that story, but it makes the point of the intention here. There is a beginning and there is an end that is parallel. But there's not only a parallelism within this tremendous verse, there's a progression because the first all is addressing the problem, it's announcing the problem, it's stating the problem that we have. 
All we like sheep have gone astray. And what a problem that is. And how do we address it? How do we solve it? How do we meet it? The end of the verse provides the solution to us. The divine solution. The solution of grace and of love. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Boys and girls are familiar uh, with problems and solutions in your arithmetic. 210 divided by 30 might be the problem facing you tomorrow in your maths class. And you will seek a solution to that problem. You know, of course, the answer is seven. Here we have this problem. All we like sheep have gone astray. Here we have the wonderful and only solution. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So very simply this evening we want to see the problem. We want to see the solution. And we want to see the solver announced in this sixth verse. Let us think of this problem that is announced here, albeit by a believer, by someone speaking in faith. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have gone astray. I have gone astray. You have gone astray. We have all gone astray. From the youngest here to the oldest, we have gone astray. We have gone astray from God and his character. We have gone astray from God's laws and demands upon our life. We have gone astray. We have broken those laws. We have departed from those ways. We have gone astray from God. We cannot get away from his omnipresence, can we? We believe that God is everywhere present. He he is in all places, albeit in all places, in different kinds of ways. So we cannot get away from God completely and absolutely. But the verse is asserting that we've gone astray from his character, from his laws, from his commands and directives for our life. We've been hearing this conundrum in this past week, this irony, this this conflict in the the metropolitan police officer who was responsible for imposing rules, for enforcing rules, for teaching rules, who was himself the rule breaker in many ways. And this is our situation. We are men and women and boys and girls who know God's ways, who know God's character who have within us that that innate understanding to a degree, who have from without of us through Sabbath school, through church services, the education of what God's ways and rules and commands are. But with all that knowledge, with all that understanding, even as parents with the responsibility of teaching our children and enforcing God's ways when they go astray from them, We ourselves have gone astray. We have departed from that character of God. We have departed from those laws and commands 
of God. We know what we should do, but many times we do not fulfill what we should do. Think for a moment in summary form of those commands of God. Having no other God before him. How often we break that. Not making graven images of God. Not taking his name in vain. Calling ourselves a religious person, a Christian person, but not living like a Christian person. Keeping his day holy. Respecting our father and mother. No murder. No adultery. No stealing. No lying. Bearing false witness. No coveting. God's law. Well known to us. Taught to us. Taught by us. And yet, all of us have gone astray. And the image used here to to enforce this point is this image of, from nature, of sheep going astray. They, They are creatures who have this propensity to do this. To do this for all kinds of reasons. And it's a common image right throughout the Bible that's used. It's used in Numbers 27 verse 17. It's used in Psalm 119 verse 176. It's used of Ezekiel 34 and verse 5. It's used in Matthew 9 verse 36 and in 1 Peter 2 which we read. Here is this metaphor, this image which keeps coming up, which describes us from nature of our propensity to go away from God's character, to move away from God's law. Sheep do this sometimes because of imitation. The dominant sheep might head off in a certain direction and the rest of the flock just go after that sheep. And sometimes that is how it has been with ourselves. We've got in with the wrong crowd. And the dominant person in this bad crowd has taken us down wrong paths. Paths which have led us astray from God's character and from God's way. Other times sheep go astray because they're not aware of what's going on around them. They're so consumed with this tremendous slice of fresh grass which they've discovered that they keep their heads down and and consume it oblivious of anything that's going on around them. And and perhaps that's a a dominant feature of our life and and of our time that, that we get consumed with items and scenarios and it's pulling us further and further away from the ways of God. For all kinds of reasons, sheep go astray. Sometimes they're led astray. Sometimes oblivious to other things and distracted by other things. They they themselves end up in all kinds of unusual places. Sometimes they're discontent with fear a farmer has placed them within the confines of a fence. They see the grass greener on the other side and as we drive down roads we find stray sheep here and there and and wonder where they have come from and and why they are outside of that that field. They themselves have 
have sought to release themselves from the, 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 the confines in which they were placed. And what an image it is of us for whatever reason. All we like sheep have gone astray. And this prophet is a, is a wonderful preacher because he, 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 he brings it into the, the very specific aspect in the second line. We have turned everyone to his own way. He'll not let us hide in the crowd. He, he'll not let us join in with others and, and, and stand at a distance and say, that's right, yes, yes, we're all sinners. But he brings it down to us, to you. Turns the spotlight onto our solitary life. And he says, we have turned everyone to his own way. It's not about Jimmy Jones down the street now or, or Mary up the road there. It's about you, about me, about us, everyone, to his own way. In the book of Romans in the seventh chapter, and I've been reading through the book of Romans recently, I was struck by how the apostle Paul draws attention to his own failing and lingers over it. He talks seven times in that seventh chapter of Romans of the commandment. The commandment. The one commandment that got him. The one commandment that he couldn't shake off the one commandment whose box he could not tick. And it was the last commandment, you shall not covet. And seven times he says in chapter 7 of Romans, the commandment, that commandment that got to me, that hooked me, that brought me low before God. And what a point that is. And I can imagine Paul in the synagogue Paul reading the Bible, the scroll in his time, and he'd read through the Ten Commandments and he'd tick off number one and number two and number three and pat himself on the back and say, what a fine chap I am. But every time when it came to number ten, God, God is conscience. You shall not covet. It resonated with him. It brought him low before God. And that's how it is with us. Your sin is not my sin. And her sin is not his sin. But in some way, in some deep way, in some specific way, we have turned every one to his own way. In Micah Richards' book, The Man City Defender, he has an interesting analysis of a football team he says there's dads in the squad and there's kids in the squad and there's politicians in the squad and there's jokers in the squad. But, but whatever they're bent, they've turned everyone to their own way. And, and you and I, friends, we need to take this assertion seriously. We see people coming out of court. Uh, we see them uh, laughing off the sentence that was given. It happens from time to time. 
to young people, given a combination of 49 years of a sentence, laughing off the sentence. And, and we look at them and, and we say they, they need to take this seriously. They've destroyed other people's lives and their own lives. And what about their standing before God? And here as we, as we read this, it needs to come to us needs to grip us. We need to linger over this. We, we need to use this metaphor of the, the straying sheep to, to bring this home to our life of the specificity that the author has here. Everyone to face up to this. To meet with our God. To acknowledge our state and guilt before you. We have a friend and she has sadly adopted a lifestyle that, that is contrary to, to God's word. She was brought up in a Christian home. And she has said to us, I know I'm going to hell. But she won't give up that sin. And she fails to understand that the seriousness and implications of turning away to our own way. I'm reading a fascinating book present time. It's called The Ungrateful Refugee by Dina Niari. Her mother became a Christian in Iran and had to leave that country and she, she fled with her family to America. But the journey was, was horrendous and there was incredible hardship along the way and, 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 and Dina writes incredibly, grippingly, she pulls you along the story. But, 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 but what has irked me is her loose use of hell. She describes many challenging experiences for them on their journey as immigrants and refugees. This was like hell. That was like hell. But it's weak. It's overused. It's common. But as we think of this verse, as we think of our straying from God, we need to grasp the seriousness, the implications, the dangers of this. Our government perhaps will have a debate on euthanasia. It's been called for because of the changes of the law that are imminent in the Jersey Islands and in the Isle of Man on the issue of euthanasia. And governments going down this road are, are once again going astray, turning away from the character and from the laws of God. And the implication of that is lost on them. The culpability, the guilt, the seriousness of that for them and for our nation has been lost. So let us grasp it. Let us lay hold upon this assertion of our position before God that all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each one to his own way. One interesting aspect of this verse of being gone astray is that this very phrase is used twice in the book of Isaiah in chapter 28 and verse 7. And it's talking there about people who were given to the excessive use of alcohol. 
And it says that they, they took this alcohol in, in, in great amounts and it caused them, the chapter says, to go astray. So this excessive intake of alcohol was making them go astray. And what a warning is implied in this verse about drunkenness. That, that, that drunkenness is like a turbocharger making people go astray. It's like steroids infused into our life that pushes down this road of sin and ungodliness and away from God. So here's the problem. A problem for us all. All we like sheep have gone astray and we're in danger. We're lost. We're vulnerable. But the solution is in the end of this verse. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Here is a saviour, the saviour for us. The wording here is is, is incredible for us, has laid on him. Uh, J. Alexander in his commentary on Isaiah comments that laid on him is a weak translation, suggesting a mild and ineffective gesture like laying a piece of paper on the table. He claims it means a violent collision. The Lord laid on him. And his comments are borne out by the usage of this word in the Old Testament. In one particular place for Samuel 22 verse 18, it's used of Doeg, an officer in, in Saul's army, who fell upon the priests. And think of that action. It means he killed them violently. Think of that action. He fell upon them. The mighty on the weak, the powerful on the small, the experienced on the pen pushers, the violent on the peace loving, the sinful on the holy. This is the idea here. The Lord laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. The ugliness of sin coming to the holy soul of Jesus was tumultuous and powerful and disruptive. The word is used in Amos 5 verse 18 of a bear meeting a man and, and uh, Amos is, is drawing on this imagery from, from around the countryside and he's talking about the people uh, wanting uh, to get away uh, and he talks in, in this particular place of someone escaping a lion. <laughs> and they're thinking this is great. And then a bear meets him. And it's that word he uses there, the bear meets him, that's used here. It's not a pleasant meeting. It's not a friendly encounter. It's fearful, ferocious, disturbing. And so here is Christ, sinless Savior, the Son of God. And the Lord lays on him the iniquity of us all. The darkness of sin meeting the light of Jesus. The ugliness of sin meeting the beauty of Jesus. The imperfection of sin meeting 
the loveliness of Jesus, the violence of sin meeting the love of Jesus, the rebellion of sin meeting the obedience of Jesus, the twistedness of sin meeting the straightness of Jesus. This is like petrol meeting fire. He laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isn't this incredible? All this straying, all this turning our back on God, all this snubbing our nose at him for however long we've done it or for however short we've done it or however often we've done it. God in his infinite grace takes the sin and iniquity of all his people and he lays it all to Jesus. He takes the judgment. He bears the penalty for it. A colleague of the staff member at the center of the storm in Red Bull says, she has been crucified. And we get the emotional trauma of this staff member at the center of this storm with Christian Horner through the investigation in the public eye, isolation in the workplace, all the repercussions of her going up against the main man. But it was nothing. And it is nothing like what's going on here. When the Lord took the sins of all his people and laid it on Jesus. The distress, the agony, the forsakenness, the abandonment, the suffering, the horror. What love is here? Can we taste it? Can we revisit it? Can it reignite our love and devotion to him? He laid on him the iniquity of us all. Can we come perhaps for the first time, perhaps for the hundred and first time to Jesus this evening and receive the assurance of his forgiveness that our iniquities have been taken away from us, from our account, from our life. What hope this is. What good news this is. And it's been laid on Jesus, the Savior. Curry's share price has rocketed in recent times, J.D. Sports or a Chinese company are interested in buying this high street chain store, Curry's. But Curry's has £129 million worth of debt. But the company that's going to buy Curry's will buy shops and debt and everything. This is the love of Christ for us. He so loves sinners that he goes to the cross and he takes all our debt on himself. The Lord lays on him the iniquity of us all so that you and I this evening by faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, can have this assurance that we are forgiven, that he has paid the penalty for our sin, that we are free from our obligation to judgment. What a wonderful thing it will be for us in our Christian life to have this kind of tension when sin comes near us, that this kind of disturbance 
This kind of tumult as God brings the iniquity of his people to his son. There is this shaking, there is this tumult, there is this aversion, there is this suffering to it. And what a thing it would be for us as we are tempted, as we engage in sin, for there to be a struggle, for there to be an aversion, for there to be an opposition to it. Boys and girls, when I, I was... Well, I still enjoy taking magnets and, and, and bringing them close together and, and just holding them in that moment where there's this tension, there's this strain between the two magnets before they snap together. That's what we should experience in our life in the moments of temptation and enticement to sin, this opposition to it. But thirdly, the solver of this problem It is the Lord God in heaven. He has done this. He, the one who has sinned against. He, the one who is the judge. He, the one who is the creditor to whom we owe this debt. He, the one who is the offended party. He has taken the initiative in this. He has so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's the Lord who lays on him the iniquity of us all. We thought today of the mental sufferings of Jesus and the fatal sufferings of Jesus and the emotional and physical and penal sufferings of Jesus. Here is this dimension of God involved in the cross of Jesus. It's his plan. It's his action. It's his mercy. It's his love that's driving all of this. The Lord in heaven, uninduced by us, unmerited by us, sovereignly and freely is laying on him the iniquity of us all. There is no injustice here. He is not punishing the righteous with the wicked. He is punishing the righteous for the wicked. What a cost to God the Father to provide salvation for all his people, giving his Son, sending him from heaven. And once again, doesn't this remind us and prove to us and affirm to us that if you or I could save ourselves by our good works, our good living, our attendance at church, our efforts, there would be no need for this. This emphasizes to us that this is the only way of salvation. If any other way could be found, God in heaven would have chosen that way and spared his son. But because there is No other way. And because of his love for sinners, he sends his son and lays the punishment for our sin upon him. Cutting the next leg of the HS2 is not really that consequential for people. That there are other ways to travel from the north of England down to Birmingham and down to London. There are alternative routes and methods of transport there. But in this case, there is no other way. There is no other bridge. There is no other line. There is no other road of salvation. But God in infinite mercy, love and grace 
provides this for all his people. To all the young boys here tonight, I say to you, trust in Christ. To all the girls of our church, we say to you, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. To all the adults in the busyness of your life, you need to come to Christ and trust in him and give yourself to him. This is the only way of salvation. So this communion we've thought in this central paragraph of the song of the sufferings of Jesus being misunderstood by the people of his time. We've thought this morning of the sufferings of Jesus being explained for us. And here this evening we see the sufferings of Jesus as part of the plan and purpose God in heaven. As we reflect on our communion time and on this paragraph, one of the challenges for us is to give ourselves completely to Jesus. To be finished with sin and turning away from God, living for ourselves, to give ourselves in the power of the Spirit completely to Christ. I watched the 3,000 meter race last night in Glasgow, the World Indoor Championship. Josh Kerr from Edinburgh lined up with the other 15 athletes from Ethiopia, Nigeria, USA, right across the world. An elite group of athletes seeking the World Championship. And Josh Kerr from Edinburgh won it in front of his home crowd. The commentators afterwards have have spoken about his progress, his development, going away from Edinburgh and going out to America to train and to discipline himself there for the past 10 years. And, And they went on to say that in the last year, he's given attention to every aspect of his life, to his sleep, to his diet, to his travel between races, every attention of his life, to gain an edge, to get ahead. He has sacrificed everything for that championship. And I was challenged as I heard that and thought of that. That's how we should be living. Every area of our life, every decision that we take, every value that we hold, we should seek to be eradicating this iniquity and transgression and sin that nailed our Savior to the cross and seeking to be the best servants, the best Christians, the best believers that we can be.